My name is Matt Telfer. I'm one of the student ministers here. And it's my pleasure to be with you tonight to open up God's Word as we look together at Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 20. So if you haven't got a Bible out in front of you, can I encourage you to turn with me there to Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 20, as we're going to reread what we've just heard from Alex. We're going to think about what Luke is saying in this section and then apply it to our lives through Jesus. Before we begin, let's pray and ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come here tonight as brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that you'll be with us by your spirit as we look together at Luke chapter 3. Please give us energy and wisdom and please give us hearts to hear and ears to understand your message. And we do pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the 14th of December 2019, a lot of things changed in my life. When I got married to my wife, Janie, it meant that I had a new allegiance to someone. Getting married brought with it behavioural change. How I acted before I got married was completely different. Before I married, before I got married, I lived for myself. I didn't care for anyone else in my life. I didn't care what time I got home. I didn't care how much or how little there was in the fridge. I didn't care if the washing hadn't been done or if the place was a mess. In fact, at the time, I had what my wife calls a bachelor chair. This, just, this chair was awesome. I wish there was a picture. It took up half, half the room. It had a great leather seat, reclined, had a great footstool. I thought it was awesome. But getting married changed all that. It brought with it behavioural change. Because my first allegiance wasn't to myself anymore. It was to my new family. Now I had to, to start caring about how much milk there was in the fridge I had to start caring about how high that laundry pile was getting. And that bachelor chair, well, forget about it. Now we had to have a, a family lounge that could fit more than one person. <laughs> then chuck in a few kids and your behaviours change again. It's true, isn't it? Your allegiance to others is shown in your actions. It's shown in your behaviour. Well, in today's passage in Luke chapter 3, we're going to hear a call to ensure our allegiance to God is seen in our behaviour. And it's a call we've got to hear because there are eternal consequences at stake. So if you don't have Luke chapter 3 open in front of you, can I encourage you to turn there now? And today we're going to look at the ministry of John the Baptist. Now to give some context to the passage, in Luke chapter 1, Luke has already spoken extensively about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a son of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And before John was even born, God had set him apart for an important ministry. And he'd been living in the wilderness until the time was to come where he would publicly appear in Israel. Well, now in Luke chapter 3, Luke picks up the story of John the Baptist and his ministry. And in verse 1, Luke begins by providing a backdrop to his ministry. He begins by listing all the important rulers who were ruling at the time. Right from the emperor, Tiberius Caesar, to the local rulers, right down to the regional spiritual rulers. And Luke says during this time, during the time of all these rulers, the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. And so John went along the Jordan River preaching a message of baptism of repentance. In other words, John was calling for people to, to turn away from their sin, from their sins once and for all, to repent and to turn their allegiance to God. And John called them to do this through the symbol of baptism. You know, in the same way you might clean up to get ready for a big event, John's baptism was a symbol for the people who wanted to show their desire 
to get ready for the Messiah's coming, their desire to repent of their sins. And Luke says that John's work in preparing the way for the Lord is something that had been long anticipated by Isaiah the prophet, who wrote hundreds of years before in Isaiah 40 of one who would come to prepare the way for the Lord, one who would get ready, get the people ready for the coming salvation in Jesus, one who would make his path straight, tear down mountains and fill in valleys. In other words, John is getting, ready, getting God's people ready to receive Jesus as their Lord by calling for a transformation of the topography of their hearts. Have a look with me, Luke chapter 3 and verse 1. That's Luke chapter 3 and verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Albalene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into the, all the country around the Jordan, preaching a bat- baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. So the word of the Lord has come to John, he's preparing the way for the Lord, by calling on people to repent and to turn their allegiance to God. Now Luke expands on what John has been saying to the crowds, saying to the crowds who are gathering around him. And John begins by getting stuck into them. And he questions their motivation. He he, he says to the crowd that's desperately lining up to be baptised, they're like a pack of snakes who've seen the danger and tried to slither away to safety. But John makes it clear here. John makes it clear here that if they want to be saved, they need to repent. He says to them, don't think your Jewish heritage is going to save you. If God wants, he says, he can raise up his own family from, from, from the stones around you. Rather than rely on their family's faith, they need to personally repent. They, they need to turn their allegiance to God. And this allegiance to God, it should show itself in their actions. If not, John says, there's going to be sure judgment. And here he uses the metaphor of a fruit tree. A fruit tree. He says that if you're not producing fruit, then you're going to, be, going to be cut down and burned. You'll be judged. Have a read with me from verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So John is saying to the crowds, your Jewish heritage, it's not going to save you. You need to repent. You need to show your allegiance to God in your actions. And now in verses 10 to 14, there's a bit of a a Q&A between John and the crowd. And it seems that some believe that John 
You know, they, they, they believe John and they want to see what the fruit of repentance should look like in their lives. And so, so they eagerly ask John, well, what should we do? And John tells them, he says to them that they need to be generous. If someone needs clothes or food, help them out. Do something about it. Be generous. Don't be selfish and self-seeking. And then, uh, then some tax collectors who, who were notoriously dishonest, they say to him, teacher, what should we do? John says to them, do the job you're supposed to do. Be honourable about it. Don't be greedy. Don't take more than you need to. And finally, some soldiers in the crowd, they ask him, well, John, what should we do? John says the same thing again. Do the job you're supposed to do. Be honourable about it. Don't accuse people falsely and don't be greedy. Don't, don't, don't forcibly take money from people. Be content with your wage. Have a read with me from verse 10. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your wage. So John is saying their allegiance to God, it should show itself in their lives. No longer they to live for themselves, but for God, with lives marked by compassion, honesty, and contentment. And see, now at this stage, now at this stage, the, the crowd are marveling at John. And some in the crowd begin to even wonder could John be the promised Messiah? Well, John empathetically says no. He says, I might baptize you with water, but there is one coming after me who is stronger than me, who, are, who is more powerful who I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of his feet. And the one coming, John says, will bring on a much better baptism, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, a baptism of salvation, and one who will usher in his new kingdom. And John uses a farming metaphor to explain this. He says, when he comes, he will gather the grain, that is his people, into his barn, picture of heaven, but with the chaff, that those who reject him will burn them up with unquenchable fire, picture of hell. He'll gather his people, but destroy his enemies. Have a read with me from verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, for one who is more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up with the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news of them. So the coming Messiah is going to bring a true baptism. He will come and gather his people but destroy those who reject him. And so John tells the people to repent of their sin, to show their allegiance to God in their lives. And it seems that they were keen to heed John's message. 
but not everyone was happy to hear it. When John rebukes Herod, who Luke mentions as one of the rulers back in verse 1, Herod doesn't want to have a bar of his message. You see, Herod had done many evil things in his life, including persuading Herodias, who wasn't just his sister-in-law, but also his niece, to to divorce her husband, that is Herod's half-brother, and come live with him. Now, not only is this immoral, but it was in complete disregard of God's law. And so John rebukes him. But instead of humbly listening to John and repenting and turning away from his sin, Herod doesn't like, his, Herod doesn't like this uh, moral criticism of him. So what does he do? We locks John up in prison. Have a read with me from verse 19. But when John rebuked Herod, the tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all, he locked John up in prison. And obviously, Herod's chief allegiance was to himself, and that's seen in his refusal to repent. Okay, can you see what's here in this passage? John is calling the people to repent to show their allegiance to God in all aspects of their lives. And so, let's have a think about what this passage means to us tonight. The first question from this passage is clear. The first question is this, have you personally repented or are you relying on your family heritage to save you? Now, just imagine for a minute, just imagine the scene. You walk out tonight and... I hope this doesn't happen. A drugged-up driver suddenly hits the curb and bam, you're standing before God. And he's asking you, why should I let you into heaven? What are you relying on? What will you say? What will you say? Will you say, oh, well, uh, my my grandfather was an elder. Or, uh, I come from a family of ministers. It, it runs in the family, you see. Or you say, oh, oh my, my family's always gone to church. Or will you say, Lord, you know that I'm not worthy to come into your presence. All the good I've tried to do in my life is mere filthy rags. Lord, I can only be in your presence here in heaven only because of Jesus, because he's taken my sin away on the cross. And I rely on Jesus and nothing else. Is that what you'd say? Friend, the call is here to repent, to turn to Jesus. Don't rely on family heritage to save you. And the second application we've got from tonight is this. Are there areas in your life that suggest your allegiance isn't with God? And more importantly, areas you refuse to repent of? Let's have a look at a bit of the Q&A between the crowd and let's sort of see the things that's been brought out. Well, friend, I wonder for you, how are you going with compassion? Are you someone who looks after the needs of others before yourself? Or are you self-seeking and stingy? Are you someone whose allegiance is to money and stuff of this world for your own comfort rather than caring for others? Is that you? See, our actions really show our true allegiance, don't they? And so do you need to reevaluate your priorities? Do you need to repent? Maybe for you an application is this. Maybe an application for you is that you need to share your belongings with those in need. I mean, 
Just imagine for a minute one of our mission partners was coming into Sydney and they needed to borrow a car. I wonder what your first reaction would be. Would it be, ah, oh, no, I've just, I've just cleaned it. Would it be, how can I serve and love this person? Are you willing to share your belongings with others in need? Or are you a bit like Gollum in Lord of the Rings looking at all your stuff and saying, my precious? Maybe for you a good application is this, like we heard a couple of weeks ago when Compassion Australia were here. Maybe you could sponsor a child who's in poverty. What a great and wonderful way to show your true allegiance. So the question is, how are you going at being generous? Well, perhaps for you, perhaps for you, you need to reevaluate how you're going at work, how you're being a worker, whether paid or unpaid. I mean, John told the tax collectors here tonight, didn't he? He told them that they need to, and the soldiers, that they need to show their allegiance to God by being honest at work, someone who works with honesty and integrity. So the question is that, are you someone who works with honesty and integrity? Are you someone who's, who isn't greedy or self-seeking? Or perhaps are you being dishonest at work? Perhaps it's something small like billing clients or your boss for the hours of service you've never done. Or using your position to bully others to do the work that you don't want to do. Or for those students here, are you being honest with your studies? Are you, or are you taking shortcuts? Perhaps using someone else's work as your own. Whether paid or unpaid, the call, the question here is, are you being honest with your work? Or maybe for you it's something else. Friend, let me ask, is the Holy Spirit convicting you of something that is leading your allegiance away from God? Perhaps a sexual temptation, like it was with Herod. Do you long for sex more than longing for a relationship with God? Is sex your priority? Or is looking at pornography your priority? Friend, whatever the Spirit is convicting you of, whatever is stopping you from having your allegiance to God, you, you need to not settle for it. You need to say no. You need to turn to God and repent. Because as we've been reminded in tonight's passage, there's too much at stake. There's too much at stake. And if it feels hard, remember you're not the first person to go through these struggles. And in his grace and mercy, God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us, to change us, to conform us to be more like his son. And his grace has given us one another too. And that's not a call for sinless perfectionism. It's a call not to settle for our sin. Well, friends, marriage did change my life. My allegiance and my life, it looks a lot different to what it once did. And I love it. But that's not to say that there are times where I still revert to my old ways, times I leave the dirty dishes out in the sink or clothes on the floor, times I need to, to bring my actions back in into line in the reality of my place as a husband and father. And my wife, Janie, she isn't going anywhere. She's patient, forgiving as I struggle along. And that's the same with God too, isn't it? Some days we'll be slower than others to show our allegiance to God but he's loving, patient, and kind. But let's not turn God's mercy into a license to live for ourselves. Ultimately, that would be the way to go of Herod, wouldn't it? Instead, let's let, let's let God's grace and mercy spur us on to transform the topography of hearts, being quick to repent, and with his help, 
producing the kind of fruit in our lives that he wants. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the holy and righteous God. We come before you humbled and sorrowful and aware of our sin and are ready to repent. Thank you for not abandoning to us to hell, but for sending Jesus to save us on the cross. Father, thank you for Jesus and his perfect life. Thank you that you rose him from the dead. Thank you that Jesus is now seated at your right hand as our merciful great high priest. And so we ask, Father, that by your spirit that you please give us strength to turn from our sin, that we might live lives that are holy and pleasing to you as we wait for our Saviour to return. In his name we pray. Amen.